Okay, that's the end of our announcements for this week. Thank you. All right, so let's recap and talk a little bit about where we've been with the Circle Maker, okay? Circle Maker is uh, it's a study that, that the, the whole crux of it is based on a story. Uh, this is extra biblical. It means it's not a guy that's from the Bible. It's a story of Honey. And this, the story is found in the book of Legends, okay? And, uh, and so from him, we've learned that we learned to pray bold prayers. And because we praying bold prayers honors God when we pray them, because we show that we believe he is bigger than our problems. We believe that he is bigger than our dreams, our needs, and even our own abilities. And so that honors God when we pray big prayers, because somewhere in your heart, you're, you're identifying, God, you're big enough to handle this when you pray that way. And so we also uh, learned a little bit about prayer journaling, which is a habit that by its very nature forces us to be very specific in our prayers, right? And be very clear about what we're praying about and what our desires are to God. And then uh, last week, we learned uh, a little bit about that we don't, when we don't pray bold prayers, uh, let alone any type of prayers, unless we can answer one question. And that one question is, do we believe that there's any limit to the power of God? The answer, yes or no to that, will determine how and whether you pray. And so uh, that's, that is what we talked about last week. And this week, we're going to jump into things because I kind of got a little check in my spirit about what we're talking about here. And, and I want to make sure that, that I provide a balance. And uh, I'll get into what that means in just a second. But let me, let me just say this. There's a guy who's, uh, who's sitting on his front porch, and there's a flood that is coming. And uh, these Jeeps come by to pick him up. It's a rescue team. And uh, the, the flood is pending. And they say, hey, jump in. We're getting ready to, the, the, this place is getting ready to be flooded. You need to get to higher ground. And he said, oh, no, the Lord's going to save me. So the Jeep drives on, starts raining really heavy. Now there's a guy in a, in a boat. He rows on by. The guy's still sitting on his porch. And he says, come on, jump in. This place is going to be destroyed. And he says, no, 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 the Lord is going to save me. Continues to rain, and his house is now buried. It's underwater, and he's sitting on his roof. Helicopter comes by. And he says, come on, get on. You're about to lose it. Everything's going to be gone. You're going to be underwater. And he says, nope, the Lord is going to save me. Well, the guy dies. The guy dies and he gets to heaven and he says, God, what's up? I trusted you. I declared you were going to come save me. I believed you were going to come save me. What happened? He said, dude, I sent a Jeep, a boat, and a helicopter after you. What do you want from me? Right? And so it's that kind of prayer that I, I feel is a little dangerous. And i got to check in my spirit this week about what we've been talking about. I'm saying, all right, let's pray bold prayers, all right? Let's be specific in our prayers. Let's journal about our prayers. Let's write them down and be very clear about what it is we desire from God. Those are all really, really important things. But the thing that got a, a check in my heart, the thing that, that was bugging me, was that when we say those kind of things, it makes it sound like there's a formula to getting God to do something for you. And I don't want you to think that at all because how many of you guys have ever prayed a prayer that has been unanswered thus far? Anybody here? Anybody have sickness in your family you're dealing with? You got friends that you've been praying for forever that that are still unsaved? Maybe you're stuck at a dead-end job or maybe you can't get rid of, of a habit or an addiction or something you dealt with and you've prayed over and over about it. Why is that prayer unanswered? Because I prayed a bold prayer, Aaron. I was very specific. I journaled about it. And I did all the things you told me to do, and yet God's not answering. There's something wrong with your formula. And that's a problem for me. So this week we're going to spend a little bit of time because I want to teach you, I want to show you in the scriptures that while it is important to pray bold prayers, 
that prayer is not about changing your circumstances. Prayer is more about changing who you are in the middle of your circumstances. Amen? I think, what does that say? Prayer is not about getting God to shape your circumstances. I think I wrote it better than I just said it. Rather, it's allowing prayer regarding your circumstances to shape you. And that's the truth. That's what prayer is about. If your circumstances don't change, God's not necessarily concerned about your circumstances. He's concerned about your heart as you go through those circumstances. Are you turning to him? Are you praising him through it? Are you thankful for all that you have regardless of the pain that's in your life? That's what God's concerned about. So let me, let me just say this. So, so th- having this formula idea, and, I, and I've said it the last two weeks, God is not a vending machine. Anybody ever uh, used a vending machine before, right? You walk up to the vending machine, you already know what you're going to get. Let's be honest. You have your favorite gum or your favorite candy bar or your favorite bag of chips, and you walk up to that and you've spotted it before you even get in front of the vending, vending machine. But not wanting to be that guy who's rushed, you want to look a little sophisticated, you stand in front of the vending machine and carefully scan each one of the aisles or each one of the rows and decide which one it is that you're going to pick. You already knew. Make your selection, you take out your cash, you put it in there. That's step one. You punch F11. That's step two. The spindle starts spinning around, and oh joy, it's about to happen. And the spindle stops. And somehow, gravity has been defied. Your bag of chips are right there. They're not even on the spindle anymore, and they seem to be floating in midair. And somewhere, there's a magician out there going, ta-da! And you are not happy. You're not going to get your treat today. You're not going to get it. And so what do you do? You get mad. You get angry. You might start yelling at the vending machine. You might even kick the vending machine. You might grab. There's a sign on the side of the vending machine. Sometimes when it goes down, you might put up a big sign that says, out of order. Don't use it on that vending machine. Or you might go to the freckle-faced kid at the nearest counter and start complaining to him. But that guy's got nothing to do with it. He doesn't own the machine. So you're not going to get your treat that day. And you just walk away angry. Okay, so let's step into what we're talking about today. God's not a vending machine. And if you treat God like a vending machine, when you don't get what you want, when that thing is hanging right there, you can see it, and you don't get what you want, you might get angry at God. You might try to hurt some of God's people or the church, pastors, others, period. You might even put up a sign and say, don't go, it doesn't work. You might post on your Facebook and say, God's not worth it. You might turn your back completely. If you think God is a vending machine, if you think there's a formula to get God to move, you might be that person that blames the freckle-faced kid at the counter, maybe the big guy with the spiky hair and the microphone this morning. I don't know. Maybe you blame me for why your item isn't falling or why God hasn't given you what it is. I'm not sure. But when you think of God that way, That's why I'm here today. It's to talk to you and to kind of shift that focus. Because the last few weeks, it's been rah, 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 pray, pray, pray. And I want you to pray. I want you to experience that. But I want you to know that in the middle of that, there's something greater that prayer is to be used for. Not just to get what you want. Not to be spoiled, rotten brats who just demand things from God. Amen? Amen. You guys still with me today? I know this isn't popular. I know it's not. But as your pastor, I got to tell you, okay? So we're going we're gonna to roll through it. <laughs> I, I feel like I need to tell you a story that's going to kind of embarrass me, and I'm okay with that. Because I, I went to a church when I was younger. Don't even ask. I'm not even going to tell you. I'm not trying to gossip about the place. It's not the case. Not, not what I'm trying to do. 
But my understanding of what they were saying was this vending machine God. My understanding was you do this. You sow a seed here. You pray this prayer like this. You stand in faith. You declare a thing. You grab a scripture and you circle that thing and you say that's what God's going to do for me. And by golly, that's how you make it happen, right? So I did. Just graduated high school. I knew God had called me into the ministry. And I decided I was going to go to Bible college. Not that God told me to go. I decided that's what I was going to do. I want to be very clear about that. And I decided I was going to go to Bible college. And you need to understand that where I'm from, or that church in particular, there were kids that would come into Bible school all the time, not a penny, and God would pay their way. Somebody would step up and say, hey, I'm going to pay your way today. Right? So I decided and declared, well, God's not a respecter of persons. Why won't he do that for me? As silly as that sounds. Remember, I'm thinking vending machine God. So... (laughs) I signed up for Bible college, and I decided that God was going to pay my way, and that somebody was going to do, just like they did for Joe Schmo over there, they were going to pay my way to Bible college. Now, truth be told, I had money to pay for Bible college. I had money to pay. But I decided, because I was going to have a miracle baby, and God was going to do this miracle thing that I needed to prepare for it, and get the metaphorical baby crib, which would be all my suits and ties, that I was going to look snazzy and go into Bible college. So I spent over $600 on new suits, new ties, and new shoes. I looked nice. So I went to orientation, and I got there. And I went through that line. And I heard all the stories. I was nervous. I was like, nope, I'm standing in faith. I'm declaring this thing. This is how God's going to do it. And I got in line, and I I heard how people would, just before they stepped up to the counter to pay, that somebody would step in front of them and pay. I know you're laughing, but I'm being honest here. This is what happened to me. I waited in line with my friends, and I stepped up to that counter, and nobody stepped in front of me. Not a single person. And they said, well, it's going to be this much. We'll take cash, check, or visa. And I said, Yeah, I don't have money to pay for that. And they said, okay, next. (laughs) I didn't go to Bible Bible college. Not that year, not that time. Because I was using God as a vending machine. And I'm glad you're enjoying my pain, but let me tell you something. I was embarrassed, but you see how silly that is. Do you see how arrogant that is? That we would declare that God is going to do something and he's going to do it this way and he's going to do it at that time. Now, it's a little different if the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and says, this is what I'm going to do for you. And you got a word from God, and it's an act of obedience. But I was acting of my own accord. I was acting of my own volition to go and do this thing. And I told God, this is how you're going to work. Vending machine. Didn't work that way. And I'm glad it didn't work that way. Because if God had answered that that day, I would have gone the rest of my life thinking that's the way he works. Amen? So I learned a tough lesson that day. How many of you guys have ever saved up a bunch of money in your savings account and then something happens and you've got to dip into that savings to spend it? Anybody? Am I the only one? I get, I get money. Oh, okay, so it's everybody here. Great. Okay, good. I tell you, I, I saved up money from time to time and I get a nice chunk of it saved up and then something happens to my car or something stupid and I just go to complaining to God and I'm like, are you kidding me? I just saved all this money. I just spent all this time. I've been faithful. I've been a good steward. How dare you let this happen to me? Once again, vending machine God. So stupid of me. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. He said, can't you just be thankful that you have the money to pay for it? I was like, oh, oh, it's hard. So if God's not a vending machine, what is he? He's a loving father. And when you think about that for a minute, you think about all the scriptures that talk about God. What is a father? 
Father is somebody that has to use wisdom with their kids. Father is not somebody who gives their kids everything they ask for. Father is somebody who has a plan for their kids, right? Amen? Father is somebody who's planning for the future of their kids. And that's who God is. And we have to shift because, again, the last few weeks I've felt like I'm going rah, 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 but I feel like I'm teaching you wrong. Those are good things to do, and I'll, I'll wrap it all up by the end of this, I promise. Just go with me. So what I want to do is I want to dive into the story of Job because I want to show you Job, a guy who lost it all, a guy who was hurting, and where he landed because I feel like where Job landed is the kind of humility, is the kind of prayer that we need to have. Uh, if you need a Bible today, please just raise your hand. Let us know that you need a Bible. We'll get a Bible in your hand. And, uh, but we are going to be in Job 1, 1. And um, I'm just going to briefly read through it. I'm going to describe who Job was, and then I'll, I'll run through. I won't read everything because there's like 42 chapters in Job. We are going to wind up at the end of Job, and I promise I won't read it all to you. So in the land of Uz, and it's also up on the screen, sorry. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. And this man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the east. So basically, Job is the man, okay? Job is wealthy. Job has cattle. And we know during that time, that, that meant wealth, Okay, he's got a lot of kids and uh, he's got a lot of servants. Okay, so let's jump into verse one, eight. Now, what's happening here in eight is that the angels have come before God. They're reporting for duty and Satan comes along with them. Okay, and so then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There was no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself do not lay a finger. So the devil comes to God and says, Listen, your boy Job that you're bragging about, If you would stop protecting him and let me in there, I guarantee you. I guarantee you. Let me test him. Let me test him because he's got it good. No wonder he praises you. It's easy to praise God in the good times, right? It's easy to praise God when everything's going well. And so the the devil's telling God, let me touch his life. Let me see what I can do. And I guarantee you he'll curse you. So that's what he does. So check out what happens to Job. This is crazy. I think my mind would literally melt if all this happened to me. I'm going to show you what happened. In verse 13 through 21, it says, One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. Donkeys are gone, servants are dead. That's what that means. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Okay? Sheep are gone, servants are gone. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put your servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. That's three bad reports, like bam, bam, bam. Anybody ever had one of those days? You just feel like, holy, wow, what is, what? And you just kind of stand there scratching your head. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking 
wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Finally, Job is moved. I think he finally has a moment to breathe, and this is what Job does. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. What? Really? Really, Job? You just lost everything, and your first inclination is to shave your head? (laughs) But it's part of their custom, part of their weeping, part of their grieving process. He does that, and he falls down on his face, and he worships God. And he says, I came in this world with nothing. I'm leaving this world with nothing. God gives and God takes away. And he praises him. How many of you would do that? Anybody here? You've just lost your children and all of your wealth. Everything you care about in this world is gone. It's gone. And Job praises God. That's difficult. And over the next few chapters, I want to say that that Satan challenges God and says, okay, Job didn't curse you now, but let me touch his body. So God says, go ahead. So he gives him these boils that literally disfigures him. His friends can't even recognize him from a distance. And his wife is telling him, Job, he's he's sitting on the ground and he's, he's cutting the boils off of his body with shards of clay pots. This is Job. This is a guy whose world just got flipped. And his wife says, curse God and die. This is it. This is over. And Job refuses to curse God. Now, like anybody who sits in this kind of turmoil after you've praised God, you said, all right, I think Job kind of had this little formula here. See, he's lived a good life. Something bad's happened. He's declared God is awesome. He says, no, I'm going to praise God. But nothing changes. In fact, it gets worse. And Job says, no, I'm not going to curse God. How can I do that? But we see over the next 41 chapters or 40 chapters of Job, how Job starts to question, did I do something wrong? His friends are telling him he did something wrong. Job starts to curse the very day that he was born. And that praise kind of turns into a bunch of questioning. And Job questioning God, why have you done this to me? And then we see this great answer at the end of Job, which, again, I don't want to read all 41 chapters. Anybody got time for that? Nobody got time for that. (laughs) Nobody got time for that. But as we read on through, (laughs) in the middle of all this questioning, God himself appears to Job and reveals himself to him and says, who are you to question me? Who are you to ask me why? Did you make the the earth? Did you make the foundations of the earth? Did you? And God just starts to declare all the things that he's done and all of his might and all of his power. God is revealing himself to to Job. And this is where Job landed, and this is where I feel like prayer for us needs to be. It's an emptying out of ourself. Because watch what happens after God reveals himself to Job. Job, This is in chapter 42. See, we made it all to 42. How many of you guys like paraphrasing like that? Awesome, right? 42 chapters. Dunsies. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is it that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. 
Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job repented of that kind of attitude of that, hey, God, I'm not getting my way. Hey, God, why is this so bad for me? Job repented of it. And he allowed his prayer to shape him and put him back in correct position, correct alignment with who God was. And he repented. What we see after that is that God restores Job, gives him back kids. He's got daughters that are the most beautiful in all of the land, gives him more money than he ever had, and then adds 140 years to his life. He sees his grandchildren down to four generations. God blesses him. Job's alignment was shifted. So when we talk about praying, and and, all right, Aaron, so, so show me this model. How am I supposed to pray then? Great, I'm so glad you asked. Because as disciples of Christ, the disciples did the same thing. They went to Jesus and they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. How are we supposed to pray? So in Luke 11:4, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. I want to show you what happens in this prayer. Leave that, leave that up for me, okay? Go, can we go? Yeah, right there. That's perfect. Leave that up. He says, when you pray, say this. Father, you can't get past the very first word without correct alignment. Father, you place God as your father. It means he's in control. It means he has the plan. You're acknowledging that he's the one who is caring for you. You're acknowledging that he's the one that's providing for you because that's what a father does. You're acknowledging that he is the one who gives you everything you have. I tell my kids this on a regular basis. They say, well, that's mine. I said, "Eh -eh, I gave you that. That's technically mine, right? That's who a father is. He gives us everything we have as children. Everything from the breath in in our bodies to the jobs that we have. This first word is correct alignment when we pray. Amen? Amen. Hallowed be your name. He didn't say your name is hallowed, which means revered. He said hallowed be your name. That's a prayer request. I pray that I would revere your name. That I would honor you. That I would respect you. That I would live a life that is worthy of your name. That's hallowed be. That's a request. Hallowed be your name. May we revere you. May we know you. Your kingdom come. Now, is he talking about a literal, like, castle with flags and stuff coming out of heaven and dropping on the ground? I mean, that would be awesome, right? Moat and everything. Dragon. I mean, like, that would be cool. But that's not what he's talking about. That's not the kingdom he's talking about. When it says, your kingdom come, God's kingdom is God's way of doing things. That's God's will. That's God's way right there. You're praying... Your kingdom come. Your will be done. You do whatever you need to in my life. You do whatever you need to in this world. Next. He says, give us each day our daily bread. Not give us abundance. Not give me more than I need. Give me what? Give me just what I need. Give me my daily bread. And this is spiritual as well as physical. This is asking for God to provide for you daily. So whatever you give me, I'll accept. As my children, they, they accept whatever I give them. Now, I give them a full pantry, and they can choose 
But they accept what I give them. This is, this, so far, these have all been statements that are not about your circumstances. These are about molding you. These are about allowing, this is a prayer that changes who you are. In, in the middle of everything. You can pray this prayer in the middle of everything you are currently experiencing. Amen? And it will change who you are in the middle of this, of all of it. Forgive us our sins and emptying out an admission of imperfection. That's a humble request. Forgive us our sins as we do what? For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. This is a molding of me again. This is not that they're going to stop. Lord, make them stop doing this. God, make them stop being such an evil person to me. Make them stop being such a hater. That's not even about them. It's about forgive me and I forgive them. That changed you. It had nothing to do with them. Let's go on. This is good. I like it. Hope you like it. I like it. And lead us not into temptation. This again seems like a request. You know, the, like keep the people, bad people away from me. But that's not it at all. Lead us not into it. Into it doesn't mean you won't be tempted. The Bible tells us later on in Corinthians, it says that God will not allow you to be tempted above that which you're able to bear, but will with the temptation provide a means of escape. This is a prayer for the strength to escape. This is about me. This is not about my circumstances. Once again, this is a prayer that is shaping me. And so Jesus gives us this pattern here. And uh, you know, I, it's amazing to me when we, when we look at prayers like this. Oh, oh, one other thing I forgot to say about this. For all, we forgive everyone who sins against us. Do you know the Bible tells you that if you don't forgive others, that God won't forgive you? Do you know that? That if you don't empty of yourself, God won't forgive you? Gotta let it go, people. That was free. That, that was free. Sorry. That was free. In Jesus' prayer, we find the pattern that he laid out that was to shape us, not our circumstances. My first marriage, because I've been married twice, I've been happily married to Shanda for eight years, and I'm thankful for her, but my first marriage crumbled after one year. The details of it are not anything that I want to talk about here except to tell you this, that it was hard, it was difficult, it was unbearable at times for me, it was a lot of confusion, first time being a father, it was difficult. And I prayed constantly for God to change her. I prayed constantly for my circumstances to change. I prayed constantly for things to be different. And what happened was I got Christian counsel. And my friend said the most life-altering thing to me. He said, Aaron, if God's not answering that prayer, pray that he changes you. Because in the middle of your circumstances, the only thing that can really change is your perspective. It's your attitude and when I started praying that way everything changed it was still difficult but it shifted for me because I had shifted because I had put myself in proper alignment with God as humbly accepting what I had and praying that he give me the strength to handle what he'd given me I know this is not popular. I know this is not rah, rah, rah. God's going to give you everything you want. But it's the truth. And I love you enough to tell you. 
In James 4.3, it says, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And for me, praying that God would fix her was my selfish request, instead of asking God to fix me. Otherwhere, in other places in James, it says, Count it on joy when trials and tribulations come your way. Why? Because God's at work. He's changing you. Well, counting it all joy means you're accepting that process and you've put yourself in proper alignment with God. We want God to fix it, though. That's our problem. We want him to make the pain stop. We are comfort seekers by nature. The air conditioner's running in here. You all got padded seats. I'm wearing flip-flops. I'm all about comfort, right? We're all about that. We do not enjoy pain. We don't want it. And when something hurts, we ask God to make it stop. The truth is, is when my son skins his knee, I can't make that stop. But I can hold him. And I can comfort him in the middle of it. And that's what God wants to do with us. He wants to draw us in. Accept where we are. And love on him and let him love on us in the middle of those things. Now, in the Bible, every time we see, there there are, are multiple mentions of Jesus praying. We are not privy to any of those conversations that Jesus is having with God, right? We never get to see any prayer that he had because God was smart enough to omit that because if you guys saw how Jesus was praying, if I saw how Jesus was talking to God, I would consider it a formula and that's how I would talk to God every day instead of figuring it out on my own, right? It was like having a magic phrase to say or something to get what you need. It's vending machine. And so Jesus' prayers and conversations with God are omitted, from the scriptures. And I think that was a good thing. But there is one time. There's one time where we get to see what Jesus prays. And I'm going to bring everything we've talked about last week. And what I'm talking about today together. Because praying bold prayers is important. Letting God know how you feel is important. Journaling and doing all these things. Believing that God can handle anything. And honoring him with those requests is important. But watch what our Christ did. Because he, his pattern is what we're to follow. In Luke twenty two forty two, Jesus says that he's getting ready to die on the cross. Getting ready to die. And he goes to pray. And we get to finally peer into something Jesus has to say. And he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. We're talking about the Son of God. The Son of God who came here to this earth knowing he would die a brutal death. He knew the plan. And he knew it was getting ready to happen to him. But he prayed a bold prayer. Is that not bold? Say, Dad, I know what you want for me. But this is my prayer that you would change my circumstances. That's the first part of what we've been talking about the last couple weeks. This is a bold, very specific prayer. Hey, I believe you can do this. this. You think God wasn't honored in this? Of course he was. Take this cup from me. God... I believe that you're powerful enough to come up with another plan. I believe that you're good enough to fix this without me having to do this. Watch what he says. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Where his prayer landed was something that shaped him. Instead of asking God, to fix it. Now, some people will tell you that praying, God, your will be done, is a cop-out. They say, oh, you're not showing faith. Nay, nay, I say. I'm telling you that you have got to put yourself in a position of admitting, you are God, I'm not him, I don't always know your plan. 
And I'm willing to play whatever part I have to play. I'm willing to bear whatever I have to bear. My child is sick and it's breaking me down inside. But I admit, you're God and I'm not. And I'll submit. I want you to heal him. Please heal him. But I trust you. Because God's at work for something. Everything gets redeemed. Everything gets used. Maybe you've been praying for a lost loved one. And you get sick and you wind up in the hospital. And God doesn't heal you. But maybe through that whole process, that lost loved one connects with you again and gets saved. Well, God can't answer both prayers. What's the greater one in the grand scheme of things? What's the greater one? That you get healed or that that person comes to know Jesus? Would you be willing to suffer that again if you knew the outcome? Sometimes we go through these things and we look back and we go, wow, look at what happened. As a result of all that, I'm put in this position of being a blessing. And look at all the people that I've blessed as a result of my pain. But are we willing to accept that? Jesus in his humanity knew what God had planned for him. He knew it, but he asked God to take it. So today I want to close with this thought. Your circumstances may be uncomfortable. Your child may be sick. Your finances may be bleak. Your relationship's broken. And there is nothing wrong with praying bold prayers. As long as you understand and can accept with humility that God is not a vending machine. He is the God of glory. And His plan and His ways are not ours. And they are hard for us to understand at times. And you can admit that to Him. But loving and knowing God requires you to accept what He's given you. In the middle of all this, one thing that is confirmed in the Old Testament, it says like this, and I'm going to close. Second Chronicles 4.17, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, humble yourself, come to a place of admission that you are not God, and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, this is an emptying out of yourself, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. God's a good God. He's our Heavenly Father. And we have to think of Him as such when we pray. And we have to realize He's got a plan that is greater than ours. And again, I'm sorry this is not popular today. And we're going to end right here on a low note. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping that what we've talked about today has challenged you in your heart Maybe you've begun to think about, how am I praying? Am I praying as Jesus prayed? Am I praying in a way that's asking God to help me through whatever it is I've got to weather? Jesus told the disciples to go to the other side of a lake once. You think he didn't know a storm was coming? Jesus lays down in the middle of the boat and falls asleep. And the disciples are freaking out because the storm is getting ready to turn over their ship. And Jesus is like, Why are you afraid? How long do I have to be with you? And I feel like God asks us that so many times. Why are we afraid? He's with us. So let's pray. Father, I I thank you for giving me this word to deliver today. I thank you, God, for the truths that are contained in it. Lord, and I pray for all of us that are here, even myself. I'm such a whiny baby sometimes. And 
I ask you, God, to forgive me. Forgive me when I, when I act in such a way that I'm just not accepting you, when I'm not putting you as Father. I pray, Lord, this week that as we leave this place, Lord, that you would challenge our hearts to pray as Jesus prayed. To pray in such a way and to have such a, a capacity to pray in a way that, Lord, we realize that we need to be molded. Not always that our circumstances need to change. God, be Lord of our lives. Lord, not just part of our lives. Be center of our lives. Show us how to do that. And to have patience. And to wait and to trust. And to have hope in you. Lord, be with these this week and bless them in their time of prayer. Bless them in their relationship with you. Reveal yourself to them as you did to Job so that they may see who you are and be with us always. Lord, I pray for those that are sick in this house. Lord, we pray for a bold prayer for those even that, that, that are in each other, in our lives, Lord, that we know that are sick. For all the requests and the burdens that are on our hearts. Lord, I pray for every single one of them and I pray for healing. Lord, for those that have broken relationships or lost loved ones, Lord, I pray that you would restore them and bring them into you. Father, let your plan unfold for their life. May they encounter you in a way they've never encountered before. Lord, we'll give you all the glory and all the praise for it, even now, because we trust you. If you need prayer for anything, We have people that will have these badges on right here. They'll just be in the back of the room. We'll take just a moment for you to receive prayer, and then we'll close today's service.